Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 13 of Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading Genesis 1 verses 11 through 13. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Well, we've seen in the previous verses that God has been painting pictures of the gospel when darkness was upon the face of the deep. And uh, and then God made the declaration, let there be light. And there was light. That was a picture of the gospel. When God uh, spoke of the waters under the heaven being gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear, that also was a picture of the gospel. Now, we're not surprised because we know that that's how God has written the Bible, that he has given true historical accounts all through the Old Testament, all through the Bible, and yet those true historical accounts are also historical parables. And uh, it it is our uh, responsibility as students of the Word of God, as children of God himself, to search the Bible to find its hidden treasure. And and so we're privileged and blessed to be able to read these things in the Bible and then to wonder, well, why did God say this? Or uh, what does this have to do with God's overall gospel program of salvation and judgment. How do these statements fit within the the spiritual teachings of the rest of the Bible? And that's something that always should be in our minds as we're reading the scriptures. We we read it, and first of all, we know it's true. It's a true statement. Um, and, and, of course, that's very important in this day and age, a day in which the world has um, happily lied to itself about the origin of all things, and and they tell one another all sorts of fables and, and fanciful tales of big bangs and, and um, the a development of, over the course of billions of years and, and all kinds of creatures that are, uh, intricately designed that they just, uh, evolved and, and took shape and form as they did 
by accident uh, because there was a lot of time. It's always time. Time is really the god of uh, the evolutionists. They time is what forms things. As though if you left something alone for an enormous amount of time, it's suddenly going to improve and get better at some point. When what is the evidence? Whenever we leave something alone in this world, leave your garden alone, leave your backyard alone. Uh, does it improve? Does it evolve? Do flowers um, turn into better uh, specimens and, and more beautiful flowers? No. Weeds appear and thorns and thistles and overbrush and it's a mess after a short period of time. Oh, they would say, well, you haven't left it alone long enough. But the more you leave something alone, the worse it gets in this world. That That's the evidence uh, of our experience in, in practically everything. Of course, they'll uh, mention a couple of things that really have no bearing, such as wine. If you leave it alone, it improves. But that, no, that that's a different idea altogether. When you leave the creation alone, when, when you do not attempt to take care of your garden, it will not improve. It will not get better. It will certainly get worse. Due to the, the curse of God upon the creation, uh, because of the fall of man, which was a true historical occurrence that we read about in the Bible, not too far from where we're reading right now in Genesis 1. And, and so, yes, these things are true and accurate and faithful, that they occurred historically, they occurred as we we read these things in the opening chapter of the Bible. Uh, this is true history, but in addition, in addition, the Word of God is just bountiful. It's full of riches. It it has various levels of truth and understanding, and and so you can understand the historical level, and that's good. It's necessary. Many today deny the historical teachings of the Bible. And, and, and so it, it's a, a good thing to recognize the historical nature of the Bible. True history. That's, that's very well and good. But if you stop there, or if some only recognize the historical nature or maybe a moral principle or two, uh, as they read the Bible, as they read these things, that God is creator and, and so he should be recognized as creator and some other principles. That's also fine and good, but it is only scratching the surface. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof. The, the scriptures are uh, just uh, full of information, of knowledge, of spiritual things, and and God would expect us 
to read them that way and, and to look for the deeper spiritual meaning. And, and the way to do that is comparing scripture with scripture, spiritual with spiritual, here a little, there a little. And that's why we're continually looking up these words and why I'm continually mentioning Strong's numbers for each of the words. So you can look it up. You can check it out and see how God used that particular word elsewhere. And as we do so, the Bible begins to define itself. God defines his own terms, and it's the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit that's teaching. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 says when you compare spiritual with spiritual, the Holy Ghost teacheth. Because we're being careful to get out of the way ourselves and and not to uh, interject our own thoughts and ideas. Well, this is what it means to me. You know, that's that's one of the worst things anybody can say when doing Bible study. And uh, I remember uh, being in in certain uh, church groups, Bible studies long ago before I knew about the end of the church age and sitting there in a large group and the uh, teacher, um, if you want to call the person that, they weren't really teaching, said uh, they would read a verse and then they would say, now what does this mean to you? And they go around the circle. Well, someone would read it in NIV and another and um, the King James and another and a third version and a fourth and and that uh, also uh, was chaotic, but but then the first person says, "Well, um, I think, and uh, here's what I see, and this means this to me, and this struck me that way, and and yeah, it it's interesting to the people, and everybody gets to participate, but that's not how we do Bible study, frankly." What you and I think about a verse is worthless. The Bible is of no private interpretation. That is, the word private is um, from the Greek word idios, where we get the English word idiom. And idiom means one's own, one's own interpretation of the Bible, any verse in the Bible is of no value whatsoever. It's a vain, empty thing that is of no real significance. The only significant interpretation is God's interpretation, the Holy Spirit's interpretation of what the Bible says. And, of course, this is the point that today's churches have failed so greatly at, is they uphold their church's position or their church's interpretation, or it may be based on a reformer, or it may be based on just a favorite church son of long ago, or a favorite pastor, but they uphold the, that position, and and sometimes maybe that position is in agreement with the Bible or God's Spirit and, and God's position, 
but many times it's not. And, and this is the fault, the big error that God sees in the churches. And it's why he brought judgment on the churches and congregations because they preferred the doctrines of men over the doctrine of God. And much of the reason for that is the hermeneutic that's used by the church is basically one's own, a private interpretation. And the church has developed uh, a methodology. They say that you can't look for spiritual meanings that, or you shouldn't, that, that you, you had better, uh, stay away from that. And they may use certain examples of, um, you know, family radio or e-bible because we have used or understood spiritual interpretations. Well, you see, uh, that gets you in trouble. No, you have to look for the plain, literal meaning of Scripture. And once you've found it, seek no other. That means don't dig in and don't look for deeper spiritual meanings. So when you're reading Genesis, the, um, the consensus is of the theologians of the churches, read Genesis as history. And, and so... Uh, you know, I can't personally think of anything um, that would be more boring in, in Bible study, but we would read Genesis and we would think of God's creation and and um, we see that God brought forth the grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree, yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. We can make a couple of statements about it. If you stay on just the historical level, and, you know, some people have, uh, some interesting things to say about history and, and, okay, this is the day God created the, the grass and the herbs and the fruit tree. And, uh, and okay, that's interesting. And, you know, how long do you spend on that, looking at that? Uh, how long can you talk about the historical aspect of God creating grass and herbs and, and fruit trees, a few minutes, and it's one of the reasons why you don't hear uh, the pastors and the theologians teaching the gospel from Genesis. They'll go back to Genesis just to teach the creation, which is a historical event and a plain, literal thing they can understand, and it's a true thing, it's a good thing. But that's why they'll go to Genesis 1. They'll, they'll uh, go for something they can uh, grab a hold of in their natural minds. But they won't, they won't look at, um, say when God causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam and, and then he takes one of his ribs and makes the woman. Well, they won't identify that oftentimes with Adam a picture of Christ and the rib, a type and figure of the elect, the bride of Christ, formed after a deep sleep or death came on Adam, Christ. No, they they don't look at that. And it really uh, causes them to have um, 
developed a shallow gospel, a very superficial gospel. It, it, it's uh, the the way that many professed Christians come to the Bible. It, it's skimming the surface. It, they're they're content. They're happily satisfied with just skimming the surface of the Bible. They they don't dare delve into it they don't seek the the wisdom that's in its depths the buried treasure that god tells us of no they're fine with the surface of the bible and that's because they have uh just staying on the surface skimming the surface superficially reading the scriptures allows them to keep their doctrines and 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 maintain their church confessions and creeds and and uh they they have their gospel and their christian religion where it's under their control as long as they abide by their hermeneutic their private interpretation that you're not to Look into the historical events of the Bible and, and to look for spiritual things. Oh, they warn against that like crazy. And, and yet it has left them empty. Their pitcher that they pour their water in is a broken pitcher. And so they have no drink to give their congregations. And, and of course, God has already brought a famine upon the land of the church. Uh, not a famine of bread and water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. And and faith comes by hearing, and since there's a famine of hearing, there is no salvation. There has not been salvation in any church for many years now, dating back to 1988. God worked out the Great Tribulation over 23 years, and now in the day of transition of May 21, 2011, God continues to judge the church as part of the world. And and so um, we, of course, are not interested in following man's guidelines for studying the Bible and coming to truth. We are interested in following God's guideline. Here a little, there a little, compare Scripture with Scripture. Okay, in in verse 11 of Genesis 1, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. Now, as we look at these, uh, at, at a verse like this, and, and we we see the various words that are used, we search them out. The first word is grass. Let the earth bring forth grass. Now this is um, Strong's number 1877. And uh, this word is translated as tender herb in some places. Like in Job chapter 38. I'll read verses 24 through 27. It says, By what way is the light parted which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who hath divided a water course 
for the overflowing of waters, or a way for the lightning of thunder, to cause it to rain on the earth, where no man is, on the wilderness, wherein there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and to cause the bud of the tender herb, that's our word, translated as grass, to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. Now that's, that's a pretty good description of, um, something just shooting up, something just coming into being, and, and it, uh, that may be the meaning of this word. Um, the, it, it's a tender herb. It's something God has just created. Well, uh, this word is also the word that's in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 and verse 2 says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The word green is uh, the word translated as, as grass in Genesis 1.11. I don't know if I gave you the Strong's number, uh, or I may have given it incorrectly. Uh, some of this is a little confusing um, when you do look it up in a concordance, because sometimes the, the word grass here, which is Strong's number 1877, is translated at times as herb. And it, the next word, herb, um, is sometimes translated as grass. So it's a little difficult keeping track of it, but but the first word grass in Genesis one eleven is eighteen seventy seven, translated as the tender herb in Job thirty eight twenty seven, and as green in green pastures in Psalm twenty three two. It's also found in Deuteronomy thirty two, and I'll read the first two verses. Of Deuteronomy 32. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb. 1877 again, translated as grass in our verse as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Now, that word grass in Deuteronomy 32.2 is the word uh, herb back in Genesis 1.11. As it goes on to say, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed. Well, that's... um the word herb is strong 6212 from Genesis 111 and in Deuteronomy 322 it's translated as grass god did not make it easy uh he intentionally complicates matters and complicates things so he can all the more all the better hide information it in this is the joy of the elect to search the scriptures. Um, it's like being an investigator and being um, a hunter for buried treasure. We're, we're going after gold, silver, precious stones, but it's hidden. 
And you, if you're seeking wisdom, well, that's good. Wisdom's the principal thing. Uh, it's the most important thing. Get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. But, uh, you know, uh, as with all those adventure tales, when you're going after something valuable that's been hidden, there's traps and snares along the way, and you have to avoid them. Well, th- this is a minor one. It's just God using Hebrew words and allowing the translators to translate them in similar ways. But um, anyway, the second word translated as grass in our verse is 62.12. That's translated as herb in Genesis 1.11, translated as grass in Deuteronomy 32, verse 2. Now, we're not going to draw any conclusions yet concerning how these words are are used and how God used it in Deuteronomy. We'll just note that God speaks of his doctrine as rain and the rain produces or falls on the tender herb and showers on the grass. And we know it's his doctrine, it's his word that's in view with that statement. Also in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says in verse 14, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. And and again, grass here is 62.12 in Strong's Concordance. Now, another verse where 62.12 is found is in Proverbs 19 and verse 12. It says, The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. And that would uh, relate to what we read in Deuteronomy 32.2 concerning God's doctrine drops as the dew. Dew upon the grasses uh, involved with the favor of God. In Zechariah chapter 10, Zechariah 10 and in verse 1, Ask ye of Jehovah rain in the time of the latter rain. So Jehovah shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone, grass in the field. The latter rain we saw in Deuteronomy 11, as well as here in Zechariah 10. And the rain gives grass. The latter rain, which we're familiar with that, as God poured out the latter rain during the second part of the Great Tribulation, and we recognize, we understand, that language of the latter rain identified with the sending forth of the word of God falling down from heaven upon the hearts of mankind. And through the latter rain, God saved a great multitude of people. Well, the the latter rain is instrumental in producing, in giving grass. And and so uh, we we can see how Yes, God is speaking of 
the earth brought forth grass, or or let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit in Genesis 1.11. But these things can represent other things. Now, um, Lord willing, in our next study, we'll take a look at the word seed and the fruit tree. And, and we'll see where they point to, and then we'll try to gain a better understanding, a spiritual understanding of what God is saying in, in these verses of Genesis. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.